Well, my name is Ron Cole. I'm one of the pastors here at Hillside, and again, it's a joy for me to welcome, <coughs> excuse me, all of you here this morning. Uh, and, and it's a special joy as we uh, begin this season of Advent, this time of looking forward to celebrating the birth of Jesus Christ. And I, I just got to say, this is a wonderful time of the year. And, and I really do love it. And it's not primarily because of the lights and the songs and the gifts and, and all of the decorations and so on, the candles and so on. I mean, I like those things. I find myself getting a little more sentimental as I get older. I like those things just fine, but that's not why I think this is such a wonderful time of the year. The reason I, I get excited about this time, the reason I, I love Advent, the reason I love what we do here and start here this morning, it's because I believe at the core of my being, this is one of my fundamental, if not my fundamental belief uh, about the world and about me and about you, that more than anything else, you and I need Jesus. That more than anything else, you and I need Jesus. In this broken world, and, and, and there are many good things in this world, but in this broken world, in, the, in this world that can be full of pain and, and suffering, of, 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 of hurt and of loss, this world that can be so full of, of difficult times and difficult relationships, at the end of the day, what I believe with all my heart is that more than anything else, you and I need Jesus. More than we need more money, more than we need more sleep, more than we need more brains, what you and I need is Jesus. And it's not just you and I, it's the entire world. What I believe with all my heart, what I've done with all of my life is try to, more than anything else, recognize that Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. That, that it's Jesus who is the hope of the world. In fact, I want to say only Jesus is the hope of the world. It, it, that, that he is the one who can change things. He is the one who can make all things new. And, and, and so as we begin this Advent season... As we think about the amazing gift of Jesus Christ being born, I want to just say that, that this is so powerful and so important. We're going to think about that, about Jesus being the hope of the world. And what we're going to do in the next four weeks is ask, why is that true? Why would I say that Jesus is the only hope of the world? And what we're going to look at are four reasons why that's the case. Four reasons why Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who can make things new. Four reasons why Jesus and Jesus alone can save us. The first is this, and, and it's not something I don't think that we think about very often, but, but it's, it's that only Jesus, only Jesus is smart enough to save us. Only Jesus can figure it out. We're going to think about this morning. I don't know how the last time you, you praised Jesus for his brains, but that, that's what we're going to do today, that he is smart enough, that he is wise enough, that he is, he is brilliant enough to know what's wrong and how to make it right. The next week we're going to look at only Jesus is strong enough to save us. He is the mighty God. And then we're going to say only Jesus is loving enough to, to save us. He's the everlasting Father. And then only Jesus can bring us true peace. He is the Prince of peace. Only Jesus is the hope of the world. Only Jesus is the one, and, and more than anything else, what I want you to do is, once again, these next four weeks, and, and then on Christmas Eve, as we celebrate his birth, to just know him once again, to experience his joy once again, to, to know what it is, that there is hope and there is life through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only hope of the world. And I believe this for a number of reasons. I believe this because of what I've experienced in my own life. I believe this because of what I've seen in other people's lives. But I also believe it because the Bible teaches this. And, and, and one of the places where the Bible teaches this specifically that we're going to be looking at are words from Isaiah chapter 9. 
Isaiah was a prophet. Let me just kind of set the scene a little bit. Isaiah was a prophet during the time of the kings, okay? In Israel's history, you have the time when they were in, in, in exile or in, in slavery in Egypt, and then they're brought out of there. And we, we talked about uh, a couple of weeks ago the time of the judges, that when God brought them into the promised land, there were judges, and then there were kings. And then at the end of the time of the kings, they went into exile. Isaiah is during the time of the kings, and he's towards the end of things. He's towards the end of things, and, and, and things are just starting really to fall apart in Israel. On the one hand, things look pretty good, okay? There's a, a fairly uh, wealthy group of people. There's a, 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 some signs that there's life in Israel, but in reality, the economy was so fragile. The, 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 the things were not, the bubble was getting ready to burst, and everybody could just kind of feel that that was a little bit shaky, and relationships were becoming more and more fractured, I think about what we're experiencing now, but, but in that day, relationships were, were happening. The same thing with that, that, that people were just dividing into, into cliques, into groups. And, and, and there was not just disagreement, there was hatred, there was anger, there was this strong sense of, of conflict that was going on in families and in communities. And, and, and it was growing stronger, and the conflict was growing deeper, and, and it was getting more and more difficult. The enemies were getting closer. Isaiah was in Israel, which is in the northern part of the nation, and Isaiah's there and he's speaking, and Babylon is coming from the north and from the west, and Babylon is, that, is knocking on the door. They've been, they've been destroying everybody, and they are, in a sense, the enemy is at the gates. The enemy is there. And the king, the one who's supposed to lead them, the one who's supposed to guide them through all of us, the king is convinced that he's brilliant, smartest guy ever. He's convinced that he's brilliant, but he wasn't. He was convinced that he could figure this out, that he was smart enough to to make it right, to work the deals, to to pull the strings, to say, well, if we do this with Egypt and this with Babylon, I can figure this all out. Things are starting to fall apart in Israel. All right. Things are starting to fall apart in Israel. And Isaiah has a vision. And, And in his vision, there is, first of all, bad news. Things are going to get worse. Things are going to get worse. We see this before chapter 9. We see this after chapter 9. But then he sees also, and this is what is so powerful about Isaiah's prophecy, he sees a new day is coming. Isaiah sees a new day is coming. A day where there will be joy. A day where there will be true celebration. A day where there will be peace and freedom. There will be freedom from enemies, freedom from those around us, and we will experience that deep sense of peace. A new day is coming. Let's look at the text, Isaiah 9, starting at verse 1. It says this, Nevertheless, Isaiah says, the preacher is speaking, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. Yeah, it's going to get worse. It's gonna go, you're going to go into exile. But one day, one day, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, God humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by way of the sea beyond the Jordan. What what Isaiah is saying here is in the northern part. These are in the northern part of Israel. God has humbled them. They were the first part to go into exile. They were the first part to fail there. But in the future, on this day of renewal that Isaiah sees, it's Galilee. It's Galilee that is going to be honored because it's Galilee out of which the Savior will come. Verse 2, the people walking in darkness, Steve read it earlier, have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. A new day has come. Isaiah sees, you, God, have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. That's why I say it's a day of of joy, a day of celebration. They rejoice before you as people who rejoice at the harvest. 
And they rejoice as people rejoice when we know that we've got food for another year. We've got seeds for another year. Rejoices on the day of the harvest as warriors rejoice when the battle is done. When dividing the plunder. When we know we have the victory. It is joy and it is freedom. For as in the days of Midian's defeat. That's Gideon if we were here a couple of weeks ago. In the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressors, all of these things, all of the powers that hold us down. God is going to set us free on this new day that is coming. God is going to make all things new, and, and he will bring peace. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. There will be no more war. Isaiah has a vision. He says things are going to get worse, but then a new day is coming. And here's now the question. Here's now the question. How is this going to happen? What reason? Here's what I want us to think about. What reason does Isaiah have for his hope? What reason does Isaiah have for hope? And, And I want you to think about that yourself, to say, if you have any hope, Why? What reason is there to have hope in this world? And, 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 and I want you to think about that because we all need hope to live. And it's interesting to ask people, where is your hope? Uh, let me just tell you something. If your hope isn't everybody getting nicer, there's just no reason to think that's going to happen. If your hope is in us figuring out how to all get along, there's nothing in all of human history that indicates that that's a good hope, that that's going to happen on our own. If your hope is that one day we will evolve into something, there's just no reason to think that's going to happen, that we're going to figure it out. Isaiah says, let me tell you where true hope lies. Hope lies. Let me tell you why I dare to believe that all things will one day be made new in verse 6. For to us, a child is born. A little baby to us. A son is given. Isaiah says this new day coming, and he says it all starts with a little baby. It all starts with, with this little child. For to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be the one who will lead us. He will be the one who will make all things new, and he will be called. And these four names are what we're going to look at the next four weeks. He will be called the Wonderful Counselor. He will be called Mighty God. He will be called the Everlasting Father. And he will be called the Prince of Peace. There we, there we are. And you see it in the banners, right? We have the one on the, the far left, your far left, that, that he is the wonderful counselor, a light, a lamp to our feet, mighty God, the mountains and the strength, everlasting Father, a Father's hands there in the Prince of Peace. Of course, what I believe and what many of you believe is that this is Jesus, all right? That it is Jesus who is doing this. That it is Jesus who is able to accomplish all of this. And that's why I say that it's Jesus who is the hope of the world. Jesus is the one that you and I need. Jesus is the reason we can have hope. And only Jesus is the reason we can have hope. So this morning, we're going to start with looking at Wonderful Counselor. We're going to start by saying Jesus is the wonderful counselor. I want to unpack that with you a little bit, okay? Let's think about what it means that Jesus is the wonderful counselor. Like I said, we we don't often, I think, really focus on this part of Jesus, but it is so important. It is so essential. Let's start by understanding what is a counselor, okay? What is a counselor? Um, There we go. I'm going to use this. Uh, one of the things we need to say as we, as we begin this, as we, as we start looking at this, is that it's not primarily a therapist. Therapists are good, okay? 
I like therapists. I use therapists. I go to therapists sometimes. Therapists are really good, but that's not what it's talking about when Jesus is a counselor, okay? It's not saying he's the one who, who is a counselor in the way we often think of when somebody says, I'm going to go see a counselor. No, what Jesus is and, 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 and what Isaiah is looking for is somebody who is a, a strategist, <laughs> an advisor, a guide. A, a counselor was, was not somebody you went to for therapy. A counselor was somebody who would give advice to kings, okay? The kind of person that the king would gather around him and, and, and say, how do we handle this situation? Because what a counselor did is a counselor had great wisdom. A counselor had just an unbelievably just ability to see everything. He had great wisdom and, and, and the ability to see, to know, to know what the real problem was. For me, that is so difficult to do so often. I, I look at the things in, in my life that I, that I don't like, uh, uh, that, that I want to change about me. I look at, you know, saying, why can't I always do the right thing? And, and the fact is, it's so hard to know what the real problem is. There are so, we are so complex. We are so, the situation is so difficult to identify what the real problem is in my heart, to identify what the real problem is in this world. I, I, I found it fascinating. I asked my brother Doug once, who's been very successful in business, about a friend of his who was beyond him. I mean, this guy was extremely successful. And I said, what is it that makes him so good? Why is he so successful? Why is he so effective as a business leader? And my brother Doug said, he can see what's wrong. He can see what the situation is. He can see where the, the heart of the issue is. He, Doug says, I see like 12 things, and I'm thinking, I, it's one of these 12. And he's like, yeah, you know what? The main one is this one right here. He's just got this brain that, that's able to sort through all the data. He's able to figure out exactly where the problem is, exactly what's wrong. And, and he's able to just nail right that. You know people who can do that. They, they have that unbelievable wisdom of knowing what the real problem is. That's what a counselor could do. A counselor could come in and say, Here, here's what's really going on. Here's what the real problem is, and, and here's what we do about it. King, here's what we do about it. Here's how we can solve this. And that is so amazing. I get so unbelievably jealous of people who can do that, who can just look at situations and who can say, okay, here's really what's going on, and here's what we need to do. I find myself not sure of, of what's really wrong, and I find myself not sure of what to do because there are so many possibilities with so many consequences. And I, and I find myself saying, well, if we do this, then we run the risk of this happening bad over here. And if we do this, then we run the risk of this happening bad over here. And, and, and I can't figure out anything that doesn't put us in a really difficult situation somewhere, somehow. And, and we find ourselves in, in what we would call impossible situations. Counselors were able to look at those situations. And they were able to say, here's the way through. Jesus is full of wisdom. Jesus is so bright. But he's unlike any other counselor. He's not just a counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. And, and the word that's there in the Hebrew, it's pele. If you like soccer, you can remember that. Pele, it's pele. Uh, it, 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 means, it means that it's beyond human ability. Pele was a word that was used when it was supernatural, miraculous. In the Old Testament, miracles were Pele's. Okay, they were, they were examples of that. They, that's what a miracle was. And, and, and so it's something that's from God himself. And, and so what Isaiah is saying is that this child, this child who is born is going to have supernatural wisdom. 
He's going to be able to see what's really wrong in this world. He's going to be able to see what we need to do to make it right. He's going to be able to understand that. He's going to be able to make sense of it. And, and that's where I want to say only Jesus is smart enough to really save us, to fully save us, to make all things new. Nobody else is. Nobody else is. Only Jesus is smart enough to fully save us, okay? I, I, I say that with all respect, and I, and I do it. There, there are brilliant people in this world, and I am so thankful for the brilliant people in this world. And, and there has been so much knowledge gained. There really has. And, and the progress, you think about it. You think about doctors who are finding cures for diseases. You, you know, right now, we still know that cancer is an enemy that, that we can't always beat. But the fact is that sometimes we can. And, and, and some of you maybe remember, but 40 years ago, we couldn't beat any cancer. 40 years ago, cancer was this great, unbelievable mystery. I, I heard one of the doctors who did initial cancer research. It was so fascinating to hear him talk. But he said, 40 years ago, we didn't know anything about cancer. It was just like, you got cancer, you're going to die. It was just this great unknown. And he said, we just poured everything we had into it, all the resources, and we're starting to figure it out. And I think someday we're going to be able to beat all cancers. And, 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 and just to, to think about that, that, I'm so thankful for that. People are, are really brilliant to do that. Just think about farmers growing more crops. The ability to, to grow more crops and, and, and to feed hungry people. Scientists, I mean, it's a specific one, but finding ways to purify water. I mean, we need water that's clean. And I think about these brains of these people who are able to figure out how to build something that they can use in poor villages in different parts of the world in order to purify water so people stop getting sick, so babies stop dying. It is just an amazing thing. And, and then researchers, researchers learning about how our brains work. Researchers understanding that this person who was talking about cancer was actually then talking about saying, you know, we're going to do that with, with mapping the brain, trying to understand depression, and and he talked about the human genome and the, all the I don't know how many parts there, but he said, you know what, we can we can do this. This guy was brilliant. This guy was amazing, and 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 maybe they'll be able to do some of that. I, I and, and 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 hear me right, please. I am so thankful for for all of this. I am so thankful for the amazing brains that people have in our world and our often willingness to use them to bless other people. There are brilliant people in our world, but here's what we need to understand. None of them will be able to solve our deepest problems. They aren't smart enough for that because none of them are going to be able to figure out why I do what I do. You know, we can find a way to grow enough food to feed everybody on planet Earth. We can't find a way to stop people from killing each other and stopping that food from getting to where it needs to go. We can find a way to purify water, but we can't find a way to stop a tyrant from, from refusing that. We can't find a way to stop us from hating each other. We can't find a way to change a heart. We can't find a way to make somebody's new. We can't find a way to overcome death. We can't find a way to do anything. I don't care what it is, and I'm so thankful for those brains. But none of the people... None of the people are smart enough. And that's where I say, but Jesus is. That's why I say, can you imagine that Jesus is the wonderful counselor? Jesus, when he comes, he has this big old brain that, that's so far beyond anything that you and I have ever imagined. And, and, and Jesus, as God himself, Jesus knows exactly what's going on. Jesus knows where the problem is. Jesus knows what to do about it. And I am so thankful. I 
and thank, so thankful for that, that he knows what's wrong and he knows how to fix everything. He can see and he can understand. And, and nobody else in human history has ever been like that. No one else has ever been able to do that. Again, we can experience great knowledge, but Jesus just blows the doors off. And that's why I want to say he is our hope. He is the only one we can depend on. He is the one who, who can make it new. The fact, like I say, I mean, I, I, I think if we're honest, if we don't believe in God, it's hard to have ultimate hope. Okay, I know some people I, I do love dearly who, who say, no, there's no God, there's no, it's just us, there's nothing. And I think it's really hard to have ultimate hope. I, I got one friend who does that and, and he regularly goes into depression because there's no purpose to anything. I got another friend who says, I can handle everything but death. It's death that stops me. It's death that gets there. I, I mean, friends, this world has got good gifts and, and, and there are, again, so many things we can learn and grow. But only Jesus can get at what's really wrong. Only Jesus is smart enough to know that. Now, there are two important things we need to, to understand, need to recognize about Jesus being the wonderful counselor, about Jesus just being so smart and brilliant and able that he's smart enough to, to come up with a plan to save all of us, to smart enough along with the Father and the Spirit to come up with a way to, to, to save all of us. The first thing we need to understand is, is that, and this is really important, his supernatural strategies often don't make sense to us. Okay, I, I, one of the things I sometimes get, I, I, not frustrated, um, I, I get frustrated, but that's just probably not good on my part. But when I hear... Christian people sort of talking to non-Christian people and saying, this makes perfect sense. Christianity makes perfect sense. Not to a human brain. Not to a human mind. The reality is what we believe couldn't be something that any human being would have come up with. Think of it. Think of the way that God chose to save us. Think of the way that God works through us. That God starts by, by choosing Abraham and, and Abraham was somebody we don't know about from anywhere else in other places. He was just this guy. God's got this broken world on his hand. He, he's got this broken world on his hands, and he's all powerful. And, 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 and he comes up with a plan of how to make everything new. My plan might have been, I'm going to just squash this up, throw it in the garbage can, and start over. Or I'm going I'm to just take all these people and, and remove their, their ability to choose and just make them always do the right thing. I'm going to remove that chip from their brain, whatever it is, however it were. I, I, but God comes up with the most shocking, unbelievable plan. It starts with Abraham. It starts with the Jewish people. And, and, and then imagine this. The God who is the creator, the God who is outside of everything, God takes on human flesh. Uh, the angels are there and they sing, but I gotta believe there were some. Seriously, this is your plan? You're gonna become one of them. You're gonna you're gonna enter into their world, and and you're going to you're gonna experience what they experience. This is the brilliant plan. You, you got more power than this. You you better. You're smarter. Come on. There's got to be a different way. And God says, No. This is the plan. I want to make everything new, and I want to restore everything. I don't want to destroy it. So God takes on our flesh, 
And he doesn't do it in Rome. He's born to Joseph and Mary. He comes to Israel, to these nobodies, and he's born in a stable. Who would have guessed? Who would have guessed? As he grows, he chooses 12 nobodies as, nobodies as disciples. Again, I would have surrounded myself with the best and the brightest. I would have surrounded myself with those the world respects, with those who are going to be listening to everybody. But he doesn't. He chooses 12 nobodies, 12 disrespected people, 12 people who don't have anybody, and yet he and you are the ones I'm going to use. And he continues to do that. Look at you. And he says, this is how I am going to change the world. And then on the very center of things, I mean, again, I don't know if we understand. We, we, we've heard this. Many of us have heard this over and over again. But at the heart of salvation, God dies on a cross. What? Are you serious? I mean, this does not make any sense. You are the creator of all. You are God. And yet you take on human flesh. That didn't make a lot of sense. But yet you go to a cross and you die. You give up your life. It doesn't make any sense except for it works. And we discover that death overcomes death and new life comes after that and, and, and the world is changed and all things are made new. And let me just tell you something we would never have guessed we would never have guessed that this is how God would make all things new. Never in a bazillion years, with a bazillion guesses, all of us trying, we would never have guessed that the way for God to make all things new was to enter into the world and that he would die, that he would give himself on a cross, that he would die, and then, and then that would lead to new life. As we used to say out in Byron Center, which was just a hick town when I was growing up, not the metropolis that it is, but as we used to say, who would have thunk it? Nobody. He is the wonderful counselor. He's the only one who understood the deepest part of how things would change, who understood at the core how to get me to change, how to get you to change, how to get the world change, that it would require he himself dying on a cross. He came up with that. Who would have thunk it? Not you, not me, but the wonderful counselor did. I am so thankful that he came up with it. Think of the way that God saves us. His supernatural strategies often don't make sense to us. They also don't make sense in how he calls us to live. Think of the way Jesus calls us to live. Again, I think sometimes we say, well, yeah, this is all. Seriously? Seriously? In a world where power rules, in a world where the true golden rule is the one who has the gold rules, right? I mean, that's the way it works. Anybody can see that's how it works. Jesus comes along and he says, you have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. Just stop. Just stop and ask yourself whether you really believe that's true. It does not make any sense. You hit me on this side, go ahead, hit me on this side. Jesus says, you, you, you want my shirt? Here's my coat. Here's my whole wardrobe. That's how you win. No, it's not. That's how you get slapped more often and get, get without any clothes. I mean, this is absolutely upside down. It doesn't make any sense to our minds. And yet Jesus says, no, this is the way it is.
It, 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 it doesn't work except for that it does because he's Jesus. You've heard that it was said, he goes on later in the Sermon on the Mount here, that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. We pray for the persecuted church. I don't know how often we pray for the persecutors. And I don't know if we really love them. It's one thing to say a prayer for them. But to really love your enemies? That is so nuts. And yet it's what Jesus says is the way to life. Matthew 20. Jesus called them together. His disciples were arguing about who was the greatest and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, you want to know how to get to be the top? Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. You know whoever wants to be first must be your slave. The way to up is down. The way to up, Jesus says, is down. The way to be great is to wash somebody else's feet. It's to serve. It's to pour your life out for others. And it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. And and we need to recognize that. I mean, if we're going to celebrate that Jesus is the wonderful counselor, if we're going to celebrate that Jesus is smart enough to save us, that Jesus is smart enough to advise us, to guide us, if we're going to celebrate that, we've got to understand he's really hard to trust him. It's really hard to trust. That my whole life and this whole world was changed when a Jewish carpenter died on a cross. Right? Sure, it makes perfect sense. No, it doesn't. It's really hard to believe that learning to die leads to real life. Supernatural strategies often don't make sense. So we have to keep coming back and hearing them over and over again. And the other thing we need to recognize is that his supernatural strategies don't work in the way or in the time that we want them to. So on the one hand, I want to say they don't work in the sense that if you love your enemy, your enemy always becomes your friend. Not in this world. Jesus' enemies didn't become his friends. They killed him. But he still loved them. And and so it's not always in the way. It's not always in the time that we want them. They often lead us to difficult places and difficult people. If we follow the way of the wonderful counselor, if we follow the way of the one who advises us to be great by going down, to be be powerful by serving others, to, to love our enemies... We will find ourselves in difficult places and difficult people, but they will work in his time. So those two things. He's the wonderful counselor, but those strategies, they don't often make sense. Those strategies don't work in the way that that we want them to work or in the time that we want them to work. That doesn't change the reality. Friends, God gives us the gift of Jesus, and, and, and Jesus is the wonderful counselor, okay? He is... He is so brilliant. He is so smart. He alone understands what's really wrong with us. He alone knows what to do to fix it. And the question I want to close with is is just the basic one of this. Will we trust him? Will we be willing to say, God, I, I don't understand how it can work. But somehow you promised me that my life is made new.
through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I don't know how it works that all of divinity gets captured inside this little baby. I don't know how it works that something big can go into something small, something eternal can go into something timely. I don't understand how it works, but God, somehow I know it does. Somehow I trust you that it does, and I find my life in Jesus Christ. And I don't know how it works that if I continue to love in the face of hurt, that I will be living well. God, I would trust you. Advent is about God's gift. About God's gift of hope. About God's gift of new life through Jesus Christ. He is the wonderful counselor. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he's smart enough to save us. Father, thank you that that you know what you're doing. Thank you that you know what's wrong with us. Thank you that you know how to fix it. Thank you that you have the power to do it. Father, help us to trust. Because our brains don't always see it that way. Our brains don't always see it the way that it really is. And it's so hard when we can't see it to trust you. So thanks for loving us even when we fail. And thanks for forgiving us. And Father, keep drawing us closer and closer to you. We thank you for Jesus, the hope of the world. We pray this in his name. Amen. Will you please stand to receive God's parting word of benediction. Once again, following our service, there are going to be some folks from Hillside in the prayer room. If you'd like to meet with somebody or talk with somebody, I'd be happy to, to, to meet with you and, and uh, just praise God or, or bring needs to God. Uh, that'll be in the prayer room to that side of the auditorium. People of God, as you go from this place, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the wonderful counselor, goes with you. Amen.